Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm Orion. With me is Peter. We talk Bible on this show. Episode, I'm just saying facts now, episode 5-3 in the More Than Hearers podcast. Not episode 5 or episode 3. No, not not one or the other. It's episode 53. Mash them together. Yeah, okay, there we go. 53. Uh, we have email addresses that you can communicate uh, with us through. Podcast at morethanhearers.com is the one I'm going to give you. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> and Instagram are services on the internet that you can use to uh, message us. Uh, www.facebook.com slash morethanhearers is uh, uh, the Facebook one. Instagram at more than, More than hearers. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. That's probably enough. Uh, share. Uh, give a good review on your podcast app of choice. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I should say something about the donations because there has been a faithful donor. There or, has. Or two. It's one or two. It's one, actually, but it's one or two. Um, so, yeah, well, you can donate to us through PayPal, the podcast at morethanhearers.com is the email address if you're liking what we're doing otherwise just hang hang out and and talk to us when you get a chance through this email and stuff uh leave a comment on the website whatever wherever you saw this uh we want to hear from you but it's i mean if we don't we're going to keep doing this so here we are continuing to do this we're in the book of acts and we're in chapter five is that an intro enough for you? It's fine. I, one of the things, audience, that Orion has endeavored like from the beginning to do, and, and I want you to applaud him for it, uh, even though we won't hear you applaud, um, is that he's been a stickler with me about like uh, some – we have recorded more than one episode in a sitting – and then we have gone periods of time between recording episodes, but we try to make each one sound like it happened right after the other and like no uh, variance between them and just this continuity because at some point somebody's going to pick up in a different spot than where you listener did and yet everybody should be able to have the same experience through the process. And so some listeners are aware of like, hey, it's been a while since they've uh, shared an episode and then other people who just you know, pick us up after the fact, have no uh, concept of that gap in time. And uh, if you're one of those where you're like, you pick this up years from now, and you're like, that one intro, episode 53, sounds really weird, it's because I don't think we've recorded an episode in... Nine or ten months? At least. Okay. I would say a year. I think it's less. I, I looked it up, and I'm like... It's not as long as I thought, but it has been a run where we yeah. didn't do anything. Yeah. Is that a run? It, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Is that a long nap? It's, been, it's not that we haven't done things. We get together almost every week. And you've been plenty busy. Allegedly. <laughs> this is what I hear from people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, things are... Lots is going on. Yes. So... Uh, and this is one of those things. I hope so. Like, I, I love doing this. And so uh, I want to keep doing it. And um, Orion has graciously allowed me a reprieve because, uh, you know, we started this 
podcast when? Oh man, I I might be able to look really quick, but yeah, I don't know. I it's been a long time ago. Most people uh, listening probably wouldn't know that we started it in one year, recorded several episodes, threw then, them all away, and started over again. Yes, the following year, a year from that. So we we actually have started this podcast twice. Yeah, um, see all. I'm going to try and get back to episode one and see what the date is on it. Oh, episode one, oh my gosh, uh, was three years ago and one month. Yeah, yes. 37 months ago. Um, and uh, since then, you know, a, a lot's happened in both of our lives. Um, I'm now senior pastor of a church um, and... Still working. I think I've been working on my bachelor's for the entire time that we've been doing this podcast. I'm almost done. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's coming close. Um, I don't think I... I might have had a job when we started this, but uh, I run a company... And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's full. So, and your life is full as well. I have a million plays on my, across my music projects, which is wild. And then (laughs) you're million, you're out of town occasionally too. a million plays. Do you know how many unique listeners that is? Uh, I don't remember. It's, it's two to 300,000 unique listeners. I think usually in the intro, you share uh, how to be found. Sure. And like you're on uh, Twitter and Instagram, both as Orion Plays Music. Yes. Uh, you really, listener, if you've never listened to Orion Play Music, you should. Mm. That's all. I'll leave it there. Thanks, man. Uh, get him to two million listens. Share with your friends. Uh, I do not play music, but I talk a lot. And and Orion said it in the intro. We, we talk Bible. Uh, we've been doing this now for a little over three years. We've grab a book of the Bible, and we just charge headlong verse by verse. And the last place we were was in Acts 4, and uh, that was some time ago for us. But for some of you, uh, maybe you listened to it yesterday. I don't know, but we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 5. And Acts 5 comes on the heels of the end of 4. And it's important, just in case it's, you, know, you, you didn't listen to it and you picked up, you're like, first episode I'm going to listen to is Acts 5, because I want to know what they say about Ananias and Sapphira. Well, we got to talk about it in context. And so the context is, remember that when Acts was written and Luke wrote Acts, he didn't make chapter and verse designations like we have now. So he just wrote this out. And then somebody at some other point in time interjected these breaks. And so um, for continuity's sake, it's important to remember that at the end of Acts chapter 4, there's discussion about believers sharing things in common in their possessions. And it even mentions this one guy who sold a piece of property, took the proceeds from it, and uh, it says, I think he laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, yeah, so the last two verses, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and bought, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so it's with that understanding of what was going on that we pick up verse 1 of Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? 
Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Pause, don't go any further. There's something, there's a subtext here that's important because it's not expressly said, but it's said if you're reading it really close. So they sell this piece of property, right? And, and Ananias decides, uh, we, say we sold it for 100 grand, right? I'm going to keep 10 grand for myself and I'm going to go put the 90 grand at the apostles' feet. And Peter calls him out over it. Peter doesn't call him out that he kept $10,000 for himself. It's implied here because Peter says, um, when you, after you sold it, wasn't as in verse four, after you sold it, wasn't the money at your disposal. Peter goes, all hundred grand belonged to you. You brought 90 and put it at our feet. And the issue was, is that what's implied here is that when Ananias put that 90 grand at the apostle's feet, he goes, I sold a piece of property and here's all the money for it. Make sense? Yeah. She's trying to get that, um, that recognition by men. And, And so that's where the issue comes into play because it would have been just as appropriate had he come and said, hey, we sold a piece of property. We needed 10 grand out of it, but here's 90 of it that we're giving to the church. I think he could have said, uh, here's 10 grand out of it. Yeah. Which would be, would have been a tithe, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, are we going to go there? No, but, but he, uh, it, if you go back to four, which you did touch on that, but four has, uh, this is a thing everyone was doing. Right. And they were doing it willingly. Right. They were just, they were... It wasn't required. It wasn't a law. Right. And uh, and it doesn't even say that it, anyone was told to do it. It just says everyone was doing it. And they were doing it. In, in doing it, there was no needy persons among them. Like no one was, no one went without because the wealthier uh, took a hit. You know, they put everything in a pool. It's communism, right? Um, socialism? Is it socialism? Uh, uh, say it. Uh, it's I one can't. Of these. I can't say either. I can't say it. It's it's Christian yes. socialism or something, yeah, it is. something like it's that. It's very similar, yeah. But but it's beautiful because in in this there everybody was taken care of. And it took sacrifices of the wealthier believers to do that, but they did it willingly. They did it gladly. And that's what's beautiful about it. Is it, is it socialist? And I realize that probably makes a lot of believers really uncomfortable. I figured it. But it's not mandated socialism. No. It's not like that was the law of the land. It's just what people did. Yeah. It's, it's really what we're called to do is to take care of each other. Yes. Through whatever means, financially, time-wise, whatever This it is a be. beautifully extreme example of yeah. that, right? I, I, you know, ideally, in our, uh, ideal for us... We keep our job, we keep our wealth, we keep our possessions, uh, you know, at least most of them, but nobody goes without. We, right. like to, we, we stay high on the hog, but everybody else gets fed. But in this, they level the playing field. They, they say, we don't need to be high up on, you know, we don't need to be on the high horse or like in the, in the house on the hill. We just want everyone to have a house, or in this case, it just may have been food. But, but you got to think the, the selling of the properties, the selling of the possessions, for, for some of these people, would have covered more, way more than enough. So they they were taking a huge sacrifice in order to bring everybody else to a higher position than they would have been, probably. 
And one of the things that happens, and it's been long enough since we recorded episode, the previous episode that I can't remember how much of this we talked about or not. Sorry. No, it's Did okay. I rehash? It's, no, it's my fault. I should No, I don't know. And so maybe I should go back and listen to it, but maybe you just picked up here and you need to listen to it anyway. One of the things about that last passage of Acts 4, and it starts in 32 and goes to the end, which is 37, is... Um, when Luke writes it, he's talking about a historical moment in the church. And what I say by that is, even to the person who's reading this, it's no longer commonplace in the church. When I say the person reading this, I don't mean me and you. I mean, he wrote this to a guy named Theophilus Mm -hmm. to tell him the history of the early church. And so when Theophilus reads this, Luke's going, oh yeah, and at that time... Everybody was selling everything and giving it to anybody else. By the time Theophilus reads this, that is not indicative of what's necessarily going on inside the church. What, and I say that to say this. There are people now who read that part of Acts 4 and, and even into Acts 5, and they go, that's where we're messing up as a church today. We all need to move into a compound together and share everything together. And maybe that's what God's calling you to, but this is not a command for the church that everyone sell everything they have and give it to everybody else. If the Lord's calling you there, you better do it. But it wasn't a command for them. It's not a command for us now. There's a context that's important here, too, of remember that at this point in the church, we're months, weeks, a little over a year or two maybe from Jesus' ascension into heaven where he goes, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'll be back to get you, and he disappears and he's gone. And the apostles at this time, the Peters, the James, the John, etc., they firmly believed that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. And so who needs a piece of land when you're not, Jesus is going to come back before you have a chance to do anything with it anyway. And so there was that mindset in the early church of nothing I have matters because I'm not going to live long enough to enjoy it anyway. It, it, there's a there's an urgency in the advancement of the gospel that is beautiful. Honestly, I'm not saying that we're not uh, that we're in a different place. One of my laments in studying Acts is that we've lost some of this urgency. Um, but is this a blatant command that we have to sell everything we own and put it at your pastor's feet? No, that's not a blatant command. And that's why it's important to draw the correlation here that the sin of Ananias, then we're going to get into it, um, is not that he held back, but that he was trying to be deceptive in saying that he gave everything, but held back some. Mm-hmm. Um, in truth. So that's why Peter says, what made you think of doing such a thing? This end of verse four. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this as verse five, he fell down and he died. Great fear seized all who had heard what happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, well, I don't know what happened to my voice there. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And yes, she says, that is the price. See, there's the lot. Mm -hmm. Peter said to her, how could you conspire, right? Because she conspired with her husband to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband, and I wish I could see the look on her face right there, are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Yes. 
Yes. I, I can see that. Yeah. I, well, how could it not? It's terrifying. I, I can't imagine this verse saying great encouragement seized the whole church. Like, it's wild, but it's important to note that the issue here was not the amount of money or even the percentage of the money, right. but their willingness to lie, to puff themselves up in the sight of man. Right. Right? That's the gross thing. Um, I don't know why they got knocked down dead. And you, me, we all know people who lie to the church or lie to other people or lie to their spouses or pastors or bosses or whatever, and God doesn't strike them dead. I don't know. Right. That, Good. Uh, we, we don't get there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Verse 12. <laughs> I'm sure there's questions in the room. I have questions. Uh, please. I, I, I'm, I'm like... This is one of the scary. I said it's terrifying. Yeah. This is. I'm honest here. I like to be. This is like. Wait a minute. You guys have this religion. This you know group. You guys started up, and then uh, you had two donors that didn't give everything they got, so you killed them and then buried them in the back. I mean, that's how it looks. Sure, on paper, because yeah. but, and then like there's no authority that came and like got the bodies and went to the crematorium or whatever. Like they just buried him in the back. It looks it like it looks weird as heck, but it's like we don't have that kind of church would not do this nowadays. It wouldn't be tolerated. This, this I, I think this uh, miracle wouldn't happen. <laughs> it's a miracle, right? It is. It's a miracle. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it it would happen. I think it was illustrative to this particular group. Mm-hmm. It can happen in this context. It almost fit. It almost fits. It has to fit. It, it, yeah, it's with purpose. Mm-hmm. It obviously. Well, and in you know first century Roman culture, there were rules about burying bodies and whatnot. But this happens in in Jerusalem, probably. Um, but which was run by Rome. But the Jews weren't seen as first-class Roman citizens, so the Rome, Rome didn't really care what happened to their bodies anyway. Another Jew died. Do we have to clean it up? No, no, they took care of it. Fine. Hmm, yeah, that makes sense. Like it was, but that was time and place. Like now, if somebody dropped dead inside church Sunday morning, uh, I've got some explaining to do. Well, yeah, I mean, like, did, did Ananias and Sapphira have any other family? Did they have kids? Did they did people come looking for them, or was it that just it? That the end of their story is here in Acts five, you know? But you go back to the Old Testament. I was just talking about this the other day. The story of the sons of Korah, or of Korah's rebellion. Oh, they all they the earth swallowed them whole and closed up in behind and them. and their possessions. Yes, it was just gone. I, and their possessions so that nobody could just go rifling through their stuff like, hey, sweet, they don't need it anymore. Yeah. No, everything, gone. You couldn't get Cora's Xbox. Nope. It's gone. <laughs> it went with them. You can't <laughs> so, take it with you. So, yeah, but at that time, it was just a nation wandering in the desert. Nobody mm-hmm. was keeping tabs. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little different in our modern context. A little. Oh, okay, a lot. Uh, just when you thought the Bible couldn't get any weirder, it's going to get weirder. You ready? No. Okay, good. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. It's an area of the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Ready? As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them 
as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. What is this? Yeah, I, 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 again, questions. These crowds, mm-hmm. are these Jesus' followers? Are they just people looking for a... Okay. They're, they're, uh, you couldn't see me point yeah, at Orion. you pointed at me in a you-got-it way. Things that aren't here, and we can only go off of what's actually here. Verse 15 is the weird one. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Does it say that when his shadow fell on them, they were healed? Um, not exactly. It doesn't even imply it. Um, it just says the people put well, people does, there no, yeah, it's hoping a, that his shadow might fall on them. It says in 16 that crowds gathered also yes. from the towns, and, and, and these people, all of them were healed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. The, the shadow thing is like, if that was going on, then fine. It's just like, what that? Uh, no. the, the reason I struggle with the shadow thing, and I push back against it, is we have no example of that power, even in the ministry of Jesus. Wherever the sun wasn't shining as strongly, there was healing? Because Jesus was blocking the sun from a particular point. Something was healed by his shadow. Every, almost every healing we see Jesus do, not all of them, mind you, but almost every healing we see Jesus do is by touch or at least by declaration of his mouth. Right. So either someone touched him or he touched someone, or like in the case of, um, I think it's like the centurion servant, Jesus doesn't even go to the house. There was the touch of his garment with the Right, that's the, what I mean. Someone blood, touched yeah. him or he touched someone or he spoke their healing. But nowhere was it like, oh, I tripped and fell into Jesus' shadow and now my bum knee doesn't act up yeah. anymore. Like, that we don't see it and so I struggle with that. Sure. To say that definitively that's it. The other thing here um, that I... You pull, struggle with it, but you're not like outright saying they weren't healed. I mean, it doesn't say they weren't, but... You, it also doesn't say that they were. Right. And so you, we you, can't You would concede that they may have been healed by the shadow line crossing them for some reason. I can't make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. Yeah, but, you're, but you're not... And I can't pretend it doesn't say something that it does. It's just a non Neither is here. Okay. So... <laughs> neither. Neither is here. <laughs> um, and the other piece of this that... And maybe I'm just sensitive to this, and that's why I see it here... We see this in the modern church where people get superstitious almost about healings and things where someone uh, has this perception that in order to be healed or in order to get a blessing or in order whatever, they have to go to church. They see church, the four walls, the pews or chairs or however your church does it. Um, they see that as having some sort of power right. that it doesn't actually have. Correct. The power is entirely in Christ. Uh, the power, any power that the apostles had, Peter, James, John, those guys, to do any sort of healing was all through Christ. Whereas these people who came were like, ooh, I bet you if we even get their shadow to fall on Uncle Tom's you know, ingrown toenail, everything's going to be good. And it's like, mm, this isn't a place for superstition. It's a place to pursue Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's why Jesus at that one point when the Pharisees are like, ooh, do another trick. And he yeah. goes, oh, a wicked generation seeks after a sign. And, None will be given to you. And, and more questions though, because in the context here in verse 14, 
nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So we know that the, the group of believers was increasing. I just wonder, were these believers that were superstitious or... I just wonder what, or were they just onlookers? Like, hey, I'll look at all those believers going on there. Maybe we can get some shadow healing. I'm just people I'm just are curious. getting healed here. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Like, and we can't solve this because, like you said, it's not there. The answers aren't there. I think there's some important stuff based on what we see here, right? Of our pursuit should not. We shouldn't be chasing after miracles, particularly not Ananias and Sapphira's miracle, but miracles in general. Um, we should be pursuing Christ. That's what we're called to. And that's that, you know, when you talked about verse 14, men and women believed in the Lord. Right. They weren't following after Peter. Even. They weren't following after signs or healings right. or anything else. And we'll get to that in a, in a few chapters where um, Peter has this moment where people bow down to him and he like, he doesn't freak out, but he's like, well, let's, uh, let's not do that. Yeah. So, yeah, no. So verse 17, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, we talked about that a little bit last episode, were filled with jealousy. That's important. They're not angry, right? It's not rage. It's jealousy. They arrested the apostles. They put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell people all about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, that's the ruling Jewish council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. And of course, just like any well-written uh, script, which God is the master scriptwriter, someone came in and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. Like... That's the impact that the apostles are having at this point. And so the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. And yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Because if you remember, we've already covered in Acts a couple of sermons that Peter's preached. And each of them, he calls out the, he says, you know, that Jesus whom you crucified. Like he just calls them out repeatedly. And Jerusalem's a little bit uh, sociopolitically, a bit of a powder keg right now. And so the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews, is trying their best to not make Rome mad. Uh, because Rome tolerated the Sanhedrin. Usually within Rome, nobody ruled but Rome. There was no authority but Roman authority. And yet they kind of let them have this religious authority, if you will. But it was going to take one more insurrection and Rome was going to squash. And that's going to happen in a few decades. But um, So they're kind of like, you're stirring people up. You're causing problems. We, we just asked you not to teach in this guy's name. But now you're, 
You're still teaching in his name and you're determined to make us guilty. You're turning the people against us. And verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And man, if this hasn't been a hotbed verse as of late, Orion. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a, uh, was? Is? I don't know. A COVID era kind yeah. of discussion. Yeah. This, this stuff came up. This coupled with like Romans 13, right? Of um, authority has been instituted by God and therefore submit to the authorities. And then there's this, we must obey God rather than human beings. And how the do you balance. reconcile the two? Yep. Right? And I think where I land, and I think we're, we're in agreement, Orion and I are to a point, and I think where the, the majority of the American Christian church, grossest <laughs> thing I've ever said out loud, lands, is we are to submit to the law of the land up to the point where it violates the law of God. And then at that point, we are ultimately subservient to God, even if that means breaking the law in the process. That seems like, um, I would say, a reasonable, theologically, a reasonable place to land. It's a, it's a difficult place to land, I think, because it, uh, what, what part of uh, living out your theology is easy? <laughs> Do we have an easy theology? Not and, really. Right, and, and I think what this might speak to is what, what part of living out your theology is legal? Uh, sure, but I think you can play it the other way where you could bend... You could bend your, you know, what's, what does God want for me? I feel like God's calling me to this, and the law says I can't do that, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is how I express my uh, worship or whatever. I think you can, I think uh, that Bible even speaks to that, though, where, you know, not, not using your freedom as a... Uh, An excuse to sin. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we... As as per usual, uh, the Christian walk is not an easy walk. And I'm I'm I would love to get specific on this a little better. And depending on when you're listening to this episode, you may be wanting us to speak to some specifics. But like I said in the uh, in the beginning, I'm trying to be careful to keep this. I don't want to say timeless because that sounds arrogant. Atemporal. Yeah. So. <laughs> Like, there's been a lot of discussion in the COVID era about masks in church and some of those other things. And, and people have, Christians have argued with each other in person worship, even when the government said no in person worship. People have argued against each other. Um, and so, where do you land based on this stuff? And I'm, I'm trying to avoid specifics other than. Um, I think specifics help wrestle some of this stuff out. Right. Like, let's say this sort of thing were to happen again with a different, uh, a different impetus or a different, you know, catalyst. Sure. And we were told not to gather. I mean, in, in the United States, we have now Supreme Court rulings that uh, afford Christians at least the same. Uh, this is weird. Talk about uh, rights as protections. Bu- yeah. As businesses, <laughs> yay. And the same restrictions as businesses in some cases. Right. So in, in the case of those res- those restrictions where they, and again, where do you, where do you, you're going to move the line here or there to suit you, you know, 
know, your need, I think it's because it's different. Some of the stuff isn't really spelled out, but, but I think where we took a stance was the Bible says to, uh, to gather with one another, to fellowship. And it says to sing, uh, songs, uh, Hymns, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. songs together, yeah. And so we we said we would do that. Yeah, so yeah, that's um, those are the big ones. Uh, in-person gathering was a big one uh, a while back, uh, at least here in California. I know in other states too. Um, and, uh, you know, initially it was nothing, and then it was, okay, well, you can only meet outside, and the idea. And there were churches... Uh, for whatever reason, I, I can't claim they were not led of God. I can't claim that they were because I don't know because I wasn't there with those churches. But, you know, um, we did uh, at the body where Orion and I are, are uh, plugged in. We did our best to continue to gather together as a body while respecting respecting the law of the land. We met outside for six, eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, because nowhere in Scripture does it say we have to meet inside a building we call a church. Right. It just commands us to meet. But our state also had a strong restriction on singing when we gathered, and we sang our hearts out anyway. Yeah, we insisted on... Because that's a biblical command. At the individual level, you know. We right. weren't mandating everyone had to sing. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't think anybody's... Masks, for uh, the way I see Scripture, you know, I don't see a a restriction where we cannot, when we come together to worship together, we can't have our faces covered. There's some stuff in the Old Testament as far as laws regarding face coverings when you're ill and whatever, and a lot of us weren't, but the state mandated you got to wear a face covering. Like, we still get to worship together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 50 to 100 years ago, it was improper for a woman to enter a house of God with pants on. She should be in a dress. Mm-hmm. And it was offensive to God, according to the church, if she came to church in pants. Now we just don't want her to come in a thong bikini, I guess. I like, think that's the, where you would draw the line. You can wear pants yeah. <laughs> just fine. Um, and so some of those things aren't necessarily biblical restrictions. And so we um, did our best to be able to worship free of interruption by the authorities, by following the law of the land up until the point where it violated the command of Scripture. So there we go. That's enough of that. Uh, you're free to email and tell us where we messed up. I love this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, I always like finding out where I've messed up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm open to being proven wrong, and, and I'm even open to healthy debate. You don't have to agree with me. It's just where we felt led by the Holy Spirit and how we saw Scripture. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors, this is Jesus, we must obey, or this is Peter, I'm sorry. Peter says, we must obey God rather than human beings in 29. Then 30 says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. And here he goes again, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. He's not messing around. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, uh, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. And I love this. He says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody. 
and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, and this is exclamation points here. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And I love the temperance and wisdom in what he says. As a a wannabe logician, one one who practices logic, this is considered to be, in writing, one of, if not the earliest logical statements like from really? from, a, from a philosophical logical standpoint it's it's considered to be very uh it's almost, it's flawless modern basically yeah. like i mean it's like it's reason like it's reasoning out why or why not to persecute these men right and he but it requ- it requires in this case uh, a statement of faith that god is actually ordaining or not, you know, this behavior, but it's pretty cool. And, and these two guys he mentions, um, Theudas and then Judas the Galilean. Uh, I did some research not too long ago on Judas the Galilean, and there's some debate on the actual historicity of this guy. But um, if you go back to the story of Jesus, right, in the days of Caesar Augustus, it was decreed that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Judas the Galilean goes, no, I will not be counted because I should not be taxed because I am not a Roman. I am a Jew. And people were like, yeah, we're with you, buddy. And they killed him. So he, uh, it, it was, it's interesting because his timeline falls into the beginning of the timeline of Jesus. Mm. Um, and he was, uh, there's even a, a, a tradition it can't be verified uh, through anything historically, but we just talked about this recently, and I know we talked about it on the podcast, where Jesus says, uh, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than to lead one of these little ones astray. Tradition says that that's how the Romans put Judas the Galilean to death. They tied a rope around his neck into a millstone and threw him in the Mediterranean. Mm. Referential. Maybe. 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 It could all just be clever history that doesn't mean anything. So, Verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. I hate it when this happens in the Bible, where it's like, you didn't, you didn't do anything wrong, but here's a couple of whippings just because. Like, yeah. we, we have to do something. So you'll remember you were here. Like, it's like if you got arrested in a modern context and you were found not guilty in court, and then the judge was like, go pick up garbage on the side of the freeway for a week. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Yeah, but still. We got we to gotta look like we did something here. Yeah. It's weird. It's going to come up again several times in Acts. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. That'll and work. let them go. And then a couple of the coolest verses, I think, in Acts. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And is capitalized. Name. The name. <laughs> Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, and it I, didn't work. Not at all. Like, not <laughs> even a little bit. But I, I'm so blown away by this. 
that they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering for the name. It's the thing we don't talk about in the modern church. We get all the, the benefits and, um, and all the, there's another word I'm looking for, all the promises and benefits of being Christians, of being followers of Christ, of having the Holy Spirit. And we forget that we also are called. Jesus said we would suffer with him. And these guys are like, oh, yes, suffering because they've found us, uh, what's like Christian enough, right? Yeah. To be persecuted for being a Christian. It, it, there was a phraseology that went around when I was like in high school of if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to, to prosecute you or to convict <laughs> you? And these guys are like, ha, ah, enough evidence. We're worthy of being persecuted or suffering disgrace for the name. What name? The name of Jesus. Jesus. 